If you brought a copy of scripture, you can find Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As we begin a Christmas series today, and you just sang it, prepare him room. And of course, that's a, a, what, that, that's a, a direct allusion to what took place when Christ was born in Bethlehem and there was no room for him in the end. That's become a metaphor and, an, and a fitting one uh, for this Christmas season. We make room for all kinds of stuff, uh, but not necessarily our Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to look at the preparations, the eternal preparations uh, that went into, uh, uh, into Jesus' coming. So Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to look at the first 10 verses. Uh, I'll read them. Here's how it goes. For since the law has but a shadow or a sketch of good things to come instead of the true form or substance of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Good question. Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. The answer is, of course, they would, but they didn't. They didn't do the trick. But, and that's a strong adversative there in verse 3, in these sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year. That means they'd offer the sacrifice, it covered things up, and it's like, ah, but we've got to go back and do this again. For it is impossible, Greek word means powerless, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And after all, isn't that what we're after? Having our sins removed? Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, i.e. to his father, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, that's the Old Testament, the old law, the old system, in order to establish the second, the new covenant, the new system. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, admittedly, this does not sound like a Christmas passage. It does look like a great communion passage, doesn't it? And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table here soon enough. But there certainly is a strong Christmas aspect to it as well, if you're looking Perfect for this time of year as many of us are preparing uh, for the season, for Christmas. We're getting ready. And the subtitle to this series, Preparing Room, for this message is Eternal Preparations. I just want to go on record to know that this is not meant to be a slight against my wife and the time it takes for her to pack for just about any trip we take. <laughs> I mean, like... Uh, ten days before we go, there's a pile of shorts and a pile of shoes, and another pile of shoes, and and all, and then these books and these trinkets. I said, "What's with the books and the trinkets, well, honey? I want to give gifts to our missionaries. You only get to put fifty pounds in the bag. 
She said, I know that's why I'm going to put some of it in your bag. This is what it goes every single time. No one would ever accuse my wife of not preparing in advance of anything we've ever done by way of a trip. But short of taking an imaginary tour uh, of eternity past, there's no question but that there were eternal preparations going on when Jesus came. Would you agree? Otherwise, why would the flip side of the Bible tell us that? That is uh, on the bookend in Revelation where I'm reading right now in my own devotional time in chapter 13, verse 8. It's describing Jesus as the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. So how does that happen? Did he, was he not slain in time? That's not a trick question. Answer, yes. And yet in the mind of God, these eternal preparations were going on all along. Jesus' coming was not some plan B. Before it all, before it was, it was, there was eternal preparations, that is, before it all began. So what I'm going to do is I want to I bear down on a little slice, a Christmas slice here, in verse 5 where it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, watch this, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. There's your Christmas text right there. Now, the whole argument that the writer of Hebrews, and I know we're cutting in on this and we haven't been studying the, the book of Hebrews, but the whole theme of Hebrews is, is that Christ is better. That's the key word in, in Hebrew. He's better. He's better than the angels. He's better than the Aaronic uh, priesthood. He's better than the, the law. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the priest. He's better. That's the whole theme. Of Hebrews, and in this case, he's better than the sacrifices which took place, you know, just incessantly in the Old Testament. He's better, and so that's the whole argument. These the sacrificial system that Jesus replaced was inept. Uh, in fact, verse one it calls that system a shadow. Uh, the Greek word could, uh, in fact, Calvin looked at this word. Uh, to be like, he saw it as a metaphor for a sketch artist. He, saw, he, he looked at uh, the word shadow, referring to the Old Testament system, as, a, as what the artist would do when he make the outline or the sketch before, you know, getting all of his colors and filling it in and, and creating the, the masterpiece, uh, uh, so to speak. It's the sketch. It's, it's, it's not the solid reality. And so the point is that the animal sacrifices, year in and year out, were sketches they weren't the finished masterpiece. They could not take away our sins. And again, isn't that what we're after? They Listen to this. They covered, they could not cleanse. They reminded, they could not redeem. Verse 3, look what he says again. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins. That's all they could do. They're like a mirror. Oh, there it is again. That's all they do. They just show you who you are. That's all the old system could ever do. Cover, not cleanse. Remind, not redeem. And by the way, we do this all the time. Some of you are doing it right now. Instead of openly confessing your sin and repenting of your sin, you, you cover them. 
And that's why the Bible says he who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses, forsakes, that's the one who gets the mercy of God. And some of you are, and this is how you cover it. You say, well, I don't do it anymore. So it's just gone. I, I, I stopped doing it. I don't sleep around anymore, okay? I don't, uh, I'm not hitting the bottle anymore. I'm not uh, doing the drugs. I'm not cheating. I'm not, I, I quit doing that stuff. And good enough, I'm glad you reformed yourself. But you didn't do anything about the sin. You didn't confess it. You're still covering it. You made changes, and that's the way you look. You know, I've changed. You, know, I, you, you avoid the subject whenever it comes up. You convince yourself that you're doing okay. You're not doing it now. I remember confronting a guy years ago uh, in a sin. Actually, he, he was confronted by the sin that he had done several years earlier, but it was a horrible sin. And I confronted him, and the first, this was a Christian, the very first words out of his mouth, and I quote verbatim, oh, that was years ago. I got a better idea. Repent. Confess. By the way, I, I know this feeling. I know this feeling. As I have shared before, my own testimony, I was a grossly immoral man before I became a Christian. And, uh, and then I became a Christian. Old things are passed away, amen? All things become new. Never have to deal with that again. Except that I never told my first wife about my past. I mean, it was all under the blood, right? And, I, and, and for eight years after we became Christians, I never once lied to her. Let me tell you something. I danced around the truth as often as I could until one day, Valentine's Day, no less. Valentine's Day. And it wasn't like she suspected anything. Here's what she said. Isn't it wonderful that we were both virgins when we got married? And the truth came out. I couldn't tell a lie. And it, we entered into a dark time for a few weeks. And she forgave me as I acknowledged, though it was forgiven, I'd never openly, honestly dealt with my life until that moment. And as hard as it was, I was free. I was finally free. Stopped covering, started confessing. And, and, and when we see today in front of our very eyes, in front of our TV screens and on our computers and laptops and phones, this avalanche of sexual misconduct between all of these notables in society, be it politicians, actors, and the like. And we realize they've been doing this stuff for years. Surely our sins will find us out. So here's a better idea. Right now, some of you are covering up something from your past. You, 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 just, you just make an excuse because you're not doing it anymore. You need to confess it and forsake it. You'll have mercy. Stop walking around with this, this dark conscience that's on your soul. Acknowledge it. And Jesus Christ has provided the better sacrifice because of his body, which was offered for us, right? Right? We need a better sacrifice. 
We not, and not just a better sacrifice, we, 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 need, we need a real sacrifice. We need a flesh and blood sacrifice. And not just a flesh and blood sacrifice, we need a perfect sacrifice, one that would never have to be repeated. And the writer of Hebrews is all over this thing and the need for that. He says it back in chapter 2, he says, Since therefore, in verse 14, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who had power over death, namely the devil. Have you ever read that? This is why Jesus took on flesh and blood. And so when verse 5 says, A body you have prepared for me, this is our Christmas text. This is why it was so necessary for God to become a man so that he could die for us. And by the way, this is a little technical, but, but this in verse 5 where he says, a body you prepared for me, this is, following, this is a quote from Psalm 40 in verse 6, which says, but you have given me an open ear, quote unquote. Now, it does not sound like a body you have prepared for me, does it? Interestingly enough, this is going to get a little technical, but hang in there for just a moment. Fascinatingly, the, the New Testament, chapter 10 and verse 5, is a quotation from the Septuagint. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it was actually around in Jesus' day. It was a translation of the Old Testament in Greek. And these writers... Uh, uh, the Septuagint writers took the liberty of translating the word ear, body. And you can speculate as to why some people say, well, because in the Hebrew's mind, uh, you know, when you, if you really heard something, you did it, so let's just incorporate the whole body. That might be the case. But here, this is even more fascinating. I'm, I'm going to get off the technical train here in a moment, but this is super fascinating to me. The Holy Spirit-inspired New Testament writer of Hebrews used... Not the Holy Spirit-inspired Old Testament, but a translation of the Old Testament. That's just crazy to me. Giving us a New Testament quotation of the Old Testament, equally Holy Spirit-inspired, but worded differently in order to fit Jesus. That's pretty cool. That's, like, really cool. But even if that just went... Okay, don't miss the beauty of this drama that's going on. I'm taking you back to the text. Doesn't matter who you are, young or old, you can catch this drama. Here is Jesus. He's talking to his father, and I want you to see it. Here's what it says. Okay, watch this. Here's what he says. Therefore, when he, that's Jesus, came into the world, he, again, Jesus said, sacrifice and offering you, that's God the Father. Did not desire, but a body you, God the Father, have prepared for me. Now, I want you to see what's going on. In other words, God the Father prepared for God the Son a body. That's what it's saying. Remember, God is spirit. God is not, does, so many of us have these idolatrous views of God God is spirit in his essence. He doesn't have a body, so stop picturing him like that. But in Jesus, God took on flesh. He took on a body. That's why I say every Christmas, at his incarnation, Jesus didn't become less than God. He became more than God. 
he became the God-man. He was not God-man before his incarnation. That's just awesome to me. Now, back to the text. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you, God the Father, had no pleasure because the Son's talking here. Then I, that is Jesus, said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. So Jesus, here's the point. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, in love, submitted to the Father, to his Father, and he humbled himself to become, watch this, not just flesh, but the most vulnerable, he, he came at the most vulnerable point of our being. The, the, what we would call the zygote stage. Zygote is, is where you have the egg and the sperm. When they meet, boom, that's the, that's the earliest stage. That's zygote. That's conception right there. Then you have the gestation and the nine months, etc. This is, this is the mystery behind Gabriel showing up, says to Mary, you're going to have a baby you're going you're gonna to have the Messiah. How can this be? I've never known a man. Listen, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. The power of the Almighty is going to come upon you. And that which was, it will be wrought in you, is, it will be called holy. What's going on there? So, theologians debate as to what was happening in that moment. Did, did the Holy Spirit cause Mary's egg to miraculously fertilize? Or, 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 uh, and it, because we kept Joseph out of the deal, and then sin, according to Romans 5.12, comes through the man. So, Or did he just take a heaven-created body at the zygote stage and place it into her womb? You want to know what the answer is? I have no idea. <laughs> I do know this. I do know this. We have a Savior who, though he was God, lowered himself to the lowest of levels to become you and me. He reached down to us before we ever reached up to him. And this is Christmas. This is the incarnation. This is the coming of God in the flesh. This is the hallelujah that we just sang about. And I just want to extract a couple of questions from this passage as we make our way to the Lord's table this morning. First, do you want a God who adjusted his plan on the fly or prepared an eternity past? If you think about it, if, if it's true, and it is, that God prepared things in eternity for his son, don't you think he's doing that for you? Some of you come unraveled over anything and everything. Isn't he in control? Haven't all our days, Psalm 139, right, Chris, been written before they were ever, before the book, the book was written before the life was. So here's the deal. Be calm and trust him. How's that? Be calm and trust him. Secondly, do you want a savior far removed from your experience or one who actually sympathizes with you? Now, I don't want you to get the impression that, you know, Jesus had to become a person because God just couldn't relate to us. Are you kidding me? He created us. 
It's so that we could see that he's relating to us and always has for that matter. But what kind of savior do you want? Do you want one like a deist God? He just, he just sort of, you know, creates you and walks away? Or do you want somebody involved? One who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Be encouraged and know him. Know Jesus Christ. When you study the life, the incarnation, what it meant for God to step into eternity, to step out of eternity into time for you and me and worship him and know him deeper. Again, he reached down to you before you ever reached up to him. I want the one who, who became like me without sin so that I could relate to him because he's always been able to relate to me. Do you want your sins covered up or cleansed away? I mean, the text is talking about the blood of bulls and goats can't take away your sins. What do you want to be, what, what do you want to have done with your sins? You just want to cover them up like some of you have been doing? Or do you want them taken away? I hope the answer is pretty obvious, is it not? If you're a Christian, you've trusted Jesus, but you, you've, you've, you've fallen into sin or whatever, and you just sort of, you just quit doing it, but you never really confessed it, you never repented, and you're wondering why your life just keeps sputtering all the time. It's because you're not obeying the scripture. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Quit covering your sins and start confessing. You're going to have an opportunity right here at the Lord's table. And maybe you'll have to go get with somebody when you're done. And fourthly, do you want to be constantly reminded of your sins or completely redeemed from them? This is why Jesus came, right? The Old Testament is a mirror. The old system was only a mirror reminding you of you, and that doesn't look good. The new system, the old, the old system is a mirror reminding of you of your failures. The new system, the new covenant, it, it, the new one is a buyer. Despite what you look like in the mirror, the buyer, the Lord Jesus, steps into our lives and redeems us from all of our sins. That's what I want. I don't want to be constantly reminded of my sins. I want to be redeemed from them. I want somebody to purchase them and take them away from me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Now, no writer in all the New Testament uh, it, exploits the glory of Jesus like the writer of Hebrews. Just continually says he's better, he's better, he's better, he's better, and he is. But right out of the chute, the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God the Father. And watch this, the exact imprint of his nature. Just stare at that. Jesus is the radiance, that's the, that's the effluence, that's the, that's the shekinah, that's the outshining. He is the outshining, he is the very light, he is the, he is the radiance of the glory of God the Father, and again, the exact expression, imprint, engraving 
of his nature. This is why when Philip said to Jesus one day, you know, Philip, if you just show us the Father, or Jesus, if you just show us the Father, things will go better for us. Jesus says, Philip, how long have you been with me? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. I'm the exact imprint of his nature. In fact, the word is the word, we get our word character. That's who Jesus is. That's why, that's why I have to be a little more forgiving with folks who are forever confusing the roles of the Trinity. Because we have one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Several years ago, in the first church I pastored, I was so frustrated because people were muddling the, the different persons of the Godhead and thanking the Father for dying for them. Oh, I, the Father didn't die for you, the Son did. And so I preached this masterful sermon, clearly delineated the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I, I left no... I, I left no ambiguity. I was as clear as it could possibly be. I so excited, went down to the Lord's table, told, spoke to one of my mentors, a deacon. His name is Dallas. I said, Dallas, go ahead and pray for the Lord's table. He said, gladly, pastor. Father, thank you for dying for our sins. I could not believe it. <laughs> a few days ago, we we laid to rest the last charter member of Sailorville Church. Marilyn Talanor, nearly 95 years old, joined our church in 1948 when it got going. And what a life. And there were still a remnant of people around here that remember her many years ago. Keith Carlson uh, grew up with Marilyn serving as secretary and other things, but he, the Carlsons and the Towelners were close friends. So uh, Keith told a story during the funeral memorial about when he was five years old, he was just five years old, Marilyn gave him a cup. And on the cup, there was a mirror. And under the mirror were these words, I love the one in the mirror. It was very precious. I was thinking about that. If Jesus had given his father a cup with a mirror on it, it would not have said, I love the one in the mirror. It would have said, I am the one in the mirror. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. And by the way, Jesus would never have given his father a cup anyway. His father gave him a cup. And when he was facing his most duressful time on earth, moments before he would die in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed those words with trembling, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But because of the text in Hebrews 10, remember where he says, he says, it's written of me in the scroll, I delight to do your will. So it was true back then. It was true when he came. It was true at the point of his death. And so he said, not my will, but your will be done.
And so Jesus Christ, the very radiance of Father God and the exact imprint of his nature, lowers himself as no one has ever or ever will lower themselves for another. And not just for his father, for you. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Will you pray with me? Our Father, with gratitude, we come before you and thank you for this great passage of Scripture reminding us that in the mystery of it all, you prepared a body because being God, it's impossible to kill you, Lord. It's impossible to kill Jesus because he was the eternal God unless he became a human being, which is what he did out of love, submitting to you, Father. Becoming like us so that he might die and become that sacrifice that would indeed take our sins away. And Lord, as we come to the table here, we're going to hold the bread here and we're going to remember this, is, this relates to your body, Lord Jesus. Perfect in all and Tempted in all points, but never giving in. And we'll hold the cup, the cup that you drank down to the dregs, that now represents your blood shed for us. I pray for those in this room, Lord, who may know you, Lord Jesus, but have taken this water over the dam, something swept under the rug, but have some sin or sins in their lives they've never openly confessed and forsaken and <clears throat> that's why they, they sputter so much. Pray this might be a day where they would say, oh, Lord Jesus, how, if you would go so low for me, how can I resist being low for you? I pray for those who don't know you in this room. They'll be eternally reminded of their sins if they don't repent and receive redemption. If that's you, dear friend, and you would say, I, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. Behold the love of God for you. That he would step into your experience and become a human being for the express purpose of dying and rising again. Would you believe in him today and be saved? I pray, God, that we would be true worshipers today around this Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.